This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of pronator syndrome from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Pronator syndrome is a compressive neuropathy of the median nerve at the level of the elbow. Diagnosis is made clinically with pain at the proximal volar forearm, sensory changes over the palmar cutaneous branch, and positive tenels over the proximal volar forearm. Treatment involves a prolonged non-operative course and rarely surgical decompression. Now let's get into the episode. Starting with epidemiology, the incidence of pronator syndrome is rare, with less than 1 per 100,000 cases annually. In terms of demographics, females are more commonly affected than males, and pronator syndrome most commonly occurs in the fifth decade of life. As far as risk factors, pronator syndrome is associated with well-developed forearm muscles, for example, in weightlifters. Moving on to etiology, in terms of pathoanatomy, there are five potential sites of entrapment, which include the supracondylar process, the ligament of Struthers, the bicipital aponeurosis, aka the Lacertus fibrosis, between the ulnar and humeral heads of the pronator teres, and the FDS aponeurotic arch. Remember that the supracondylar process is a residual osseous structure on the distal humerus that is present in 1% of the population. The ligament of Struthers travels from the tip of the supracondylar process to the medial epicondyle and is not to be confused with the arcade of Struthers, which is a site of ulnar compression neuropathy in cubital tunnel syndrome. So again, the five potential sites of entrapment in pronator syndrome include the supracondylar process, the ligament of Struthers, the bicipital aponeurosis, aka the Lacertus fibrosis, between the ulnar and humeral heads of the pronator teres, and the FDS aponeurotic arch. As far as associated conditions, pronator syndrome is commonly associated with medial epicondylitis. Moving on to the presentation of pronator syndrome, symptoms may include paresthesias in the thumb, index, middle finger, and radial half of the ring finger as seen in carpal tunnel syndrome. In pronator syndrome, paresthesias are often made worse with repetitive pronosupination. Pronator syndrome should have characteristics differentiating it from carpal tunnel syndrome such as aching pain over the proximal volar forearm, sensory disturbances over the distribution of the palmar cutaneous branch of the median nerve, that is in the palm of the hand, which arises 4 to 5 centimeters proximal to the carpal tunnel. Finally, another characteristic differentiating pronator syndrome from carpal tunnel syndrome is the lack of night symptoms. On physical exam, provocative tests are specific for different sites of entrapment. For example, a positive tenel sign in the proximal anterior forearm, but no tenel sign at the wrist, nor provocative symptoms with wrist flexion, as would be seen in carpal tunnel syndrome. Other provocative tests may include resisted elbow flexion with forearm supination, which would indicate compression at the bicipital aponeurosis, resisted forearm pronation with the elbow extended, which would indicate compression at the two heads of the pronator teres, and resisted contraction of the FDS to the middle finger, which would indicate compression at the FDS fibrous arch. Once again, remember that pronator syndrome could possibly coexist with medial epicondylitis. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include elbow films, which are mandatory, and as far as findings, you may see a supracondylar process. Some other studies to obtain include an EMG and a nerve conduction velocity study, which may be helpful if positive, but are usually inconclusive. This may exclude other sites of nerve compression or identify what's known as a double crush syndrome. Treatment of pronator syndrome can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes rest, splinting, and NSAIDs for three to six months. 
This is indicated for mild to moderate symptoms, and as far as the technique for splinting, the splint should avoid forearm rotation. Operative options include surgical decompression of the median nerve, and this is indicated only when non-operative management fails for three to six months. As far as the technique, the decompression of the median nerve should be done at all five possible sites of compression. The outcomes of surgical decompression are variable, however, 80% of patients have relief of symptoms. Okay, now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's do one flashcard to test your recall. What are three characteristics differentiating pronator syndrome from carpal tunnel syndrome? So the characteristics differentiating pronator syndrome from carpal tunnel syndrome include aching pain over the proximal volar forearm, sensory disturbances over the distribution of the palmar cutaneous branch of the median nerve, which corresponds to the palm of the hand, and keep in mind that the palmar cutaneous branch of the median nerve arises 4 to 5 centimeters proximal to the carpal tunnel. And finally, another characteristic differentiating pronator syndrome from carpal tunnel syndrome is lack of night symptoms. Okay, now let's apply what we've learned further in this episode by doing some multiple choice questions to get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 55-year-old female presents with persistent right palm, thumb, index, and long finger paresthesias with associated weakness. She reports a carpal tunnel released one year ago with no change in her preoperative symptoms. She reports no nighttime symptoms at any point, but reports trouble using a key and volar proximal forearm pain. Clinical evaluation of her hand does not show any signs of thenar atrophy. Imaging reveals a normal radiograph of the hand without signs of basal or joint arthritis. A radiograph of the elbow shows a normal radiograph without evidence of a supracondylar process. On physical exam, you note normal two-point discrimination in all digits with weakness of the FPL, FDP to the index, and FCR. She has a negative CMC grind test. Elbow exam is normal other than pain with palpation of the Lacertus fibrosis and a positive Tenel's test over the medial antecubital fossa. Following failure of appropriate non-operative measures, which of the following is the next best step in treatment? And the choices are 1. Decompression of the median nerve at the elbow. 2. Decompression of the anterior interosseous nerve at the elbow. 3. Revision carpal tunnel release. 4. Decompression of the ulnar nerve at the elbow and five, nighttime bracing. The correct answer to this question is one, decompression of the median nerve at the elbow. So the patient in the question stem has median nerve compression at the elbow, which should be treated with surgical decompression following failure of non-operative treatments. To quickly review, proximal median nerve entrapment or pronator syndrome is a cause of median nerve motor and sensory symptoms that may be confused with carpal tunnel syndrome. Specific findings to proximal median nerve entrapment include lack of nighttime symptoms, paresthesias over the palmar aspect of the hand, pain at the volar forearm, pain over the Lacertus fibrosis, and weakness in forearm and hand muscles innervated by the median nerve. Dynamic testing with motions that produce repetitive pronation may elicit symptoms as well. Tests such as resisted elbow flexion with supination, resisted forearm pronation with elbow extension, and resisted FDS flexion of the long finger may identify the location of the median nerve entrapment. Lastly, the scratch collapse test may be positive in patients with proximal median nerve entrapment. Haggard surgically released 44 patients with proximal median nerve entrapment under local anesthesia in a minimally invasive fashion. 
they found statistically significant improvements in quick dash, work dash, and activity dash scores following surgical release. They conclude that proximal median nerve entrapment at the level of the Lacertus fibrosis is a clinical diagnosis based on weakness, pain over the area of compression, and a positive scratch collapse test. They conclude surgical release under local anesthesia is a safe and cost-efficient procedure with low morbidity. Zancoli et al. described a minimally invasive decompression for pronator teres syndrome with release of the deep fascia of the superficial head of the pronator teres muscle. The three clinical tests they use for diagnosis include the compression test, forearm-resisted pronation test, and middle finger flexor superficialis test. Lastly, in their series of 44 patients, all patients did have associated carpal tunnel syndrome. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, decompression of the anterior interosseous nerve at the elbow is incorrect, as AIN syndrome is characterized by purely motor symptoms and would not address the patient's paresthesias from more proximal nerve compression. Answer 3, revision carpal tunnel release is incorrect, as the presentation is not consistent with carpal tunnel syndrome and the patient will likely remain unchanged with a revision carpal tunnel release. Answer 4, decompression of the ulnar nerve at the elbow is incorrect, as ulnar nerve decompression is indicated when patients present with symptoms of cubital tunnel. However, this patient has no objective findings of ulnar nerve compression. And finally, answer 5, nighttime bracing is incorrect, as the patient has failed non-operative measures and continuing non-operative measures will likely lead to no improvement of symptoms. That's all for this review about pronator syndrome. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.